Now from the Milken Institute, responding to COVID-19, conversations with Mike Milken. One thing I've seen through multiple recessions or shocks to the system, the consumer is resilient. Vacations are mandatory. The cruise business within a year will be back. The strip will be back within that period of time too. That's Stephen Klubeck. As the founder and former chairman and CEO of Diamond Resorts International, he's been a leader in the hospitality sector for more than 30 years. A resident of Las Vegas, Klubeck believes he has the formula to make his city a winner once again. He spoke recently with Milken Institute and Faster Cures chairman Mike Milken. Stephen, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Stephen, one of the things that's been so unique is your insight into the consumer, but also your willingness to serve, particularly in times of crisis. I'd like to go back to after the financial crisis, when you became kind of the de facto secretary of tourism for the United States. Take us back to that point in time, and then we can start to think how that is reflected today. I was honored to take on the role. It was a public-private partnership, the first to be set forth, marrying government with the hospitality industry after 9-11. International visitation plummeted to an all-time record low of close to negative 20%. Tourism for the United States is approximately 24% of our exports. It's larger than the agriculture business. And the good part about tourism was there's no capex needed to be spent. We used to jokingly say the Brooklyn Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, and the Statue of Liberty is already there. So is the Grand Canyon. So how would we come up with a plan to increase visitation and to herd those governmental entities with business was a difficult task. But everyone realized this was going to be nonpartisan. And if we did this properly, it could be measurable. And the return on invested capital we were attempting to achieve was five to one. And I attacked this by running it in a way in which government was very unused to. And believe me, I did get called into the White House at least once a month to get scolded because I ran it like a business. And at the same time, understanding and appreciating how government worked, I would sit down with the most important aspect of our government, which was customs and borders. And I met with the head officers and I said, look, if we're going to spend $200 million to market the United States for the first time ever, can you retrain your officers to do one thing for me? Be pleasant and say welcome to the United States. And when people leave, say thank you. Look forward to having you come again. Basic hospitality. And that's the essence of America. We have a lot of beautiful things to see in the United States. They already knew about all the great things we have, whether it be Hollywood or the Grand Canyon. We took counterintuitively messaging from those in China, Brazil, the European Union, and listened to those consumers and created a marketing message based on what they wanted to see. And it worked. And our return on invested capital became 47 to one. So it was a great success. And it all goes down to consumer demand and what the consumer would like to see. And I think we are now have before us a very similar situation. How do we rejuvenate hospitality, not just in the United States, but worldwide? Stephen, you've seen numerous crises in health, whether it was H1N1 in 2009, Legionnaire's disease, 
where people have told you they're never coming back. Take us back in time to some of the actions you took. I went through uh, Legionnaire's disease at one of my properties in Las Vegas approximately 23 years ago. There were 120 people afflicted. Fortunately, no one died, three serious, but recovered. And I learned how to deal in chaos. And that was my mini pandemic with my brand because I thought life was over. My business was over. But I survived because I was immediately transparent with my team and my guests and the community. And I worked diligently with the health department. We found the cause of the issue. It happened to be construction related. And we rebuilt the brand because I not only was transparent, I communicated every day, sometimes twice a day. And I never lied. Ended up not only living through that, growing the business and thriving. Honesty and trust are very important in chaotic situations. And there are those that rise to the occasion where others fail or crawl into a rock. The uh, former is much wiser than the latter. Stephen, you've once again taken on responsibility for your home state, Nevada. This state is dependent on tourism, maybe more than any other state. What are the state's business and political leaders thinking about the reopening process and timing? What are your views? We've now been quarantined for approximately 40 some odd days with a very small incidence of cases and we've mitigated death. We've saved lives. And when we started, I told the governor, we have only two things to worry about right now and nothing else matters, containment and remediation. And then the next steps, I said, were make sure the basic needs of the state were met, food, water, shelter, and then of course, police power to enforce the laws and keep people obedient. And I told the governor and leadership, that's all we need to focus in on and don't listen to everyone's divergent views. And once we accomplish that, we can talk about reopening. We're 90% touristically motivated, economically motivated to get it together quick because the cash flow bleed is monumental every single day we're not open. So how do we open properly? We have to make sure that our healthcare systems are working properly, our supplies are sufficient, that our first responders are taken care of, make sure our infrastructure is working properly, which it has been through this, but that everyone's healthy. We have over 155,000 beds on the Las Vegas Strip, and I'm sure the businesses will open extremely methodically with low occupancy. They have to, number one, Mike, make sure that their employees feel safe. The employees will then make sure the guests feel safe and when the guests feel safe, they will come back. And when they come back, the airlines will fulfill the demand for the community. But I'm sure we'll rely on drive to states coming in no different than 9-11 when I went through that crisis. And we ended up having no one on the strip because there was no air travel and we had to open back up to just a drive to destination. And then we bridged into uh, airlift back into the community. The prognosis for large events is unknown. The prognosis for conventions is equally unknown because that's going to take the confidence of the companies that will be sending their employees and guests to our community. But this is the same for Orlando and Chicago, the other two large markets for conventions. Stephen, when the world thinks of places like Las Vegas, they think of the largest hotels in the world. They think of the most elaborate entertainment in the world. 
investors throughout the world are interested in when they can fully open the casinos and when the customers will come back. And you talked about when people feel they're safe, they will come back. And what are the key elements that, as you advise them, that you're focused on to make people feel safe? There's been a major shock to the system with regard to self-vigilance. And that's going to take a little bit of time to wear off where people feel safe. If you provided, for example, Mike, a restaurant that didn't provide social distancing in tables, I don't believe a consumer would go to that restaurant at this juncture. Perhaps that'll wear off in six months, eight months, a year. It will wear off. The consumer, in my opinion, after doing this for decades, has a short memory. And the one thing I've seen through multiple recessions or shocks to the system, the consumer is resilient. Vacations are mandatory. And I believe the cruise business within a year will be back. I truly believe that. And I believe the strip will be back within that period of time too. Since we have listeners all over the world, you're talking about Las Vegas Strip. The Strip, yes, the Las Vegas Strip. Now, you wrote a book, The Meaning of Yes. And what are your communication skills that you would apply if you were running these businesses that not only have locations in Vegas, but around the world? If there's any, it's now to make sure the leaders of these organizations overly communicate with their teams, their employees, and with the consumer. You can't communicate enough and you have to provide the highest level of hospitality. The meaning of yes is so important today, not just in the hotel business, in every business. I believe we're all in hospitality. It's all about the consumer. I would always travel to my resorts worldwide, constantly on the road for a decade and a half, and walk around my pools, shake hands, and listen and deliver. If something wasn't taken care of, the answer was yes. And I went so far as to put my business card at every front desk with my live email and my live cell phone number. And it became counterintuitive because all my executives said this would be the destruction of our company. And yes, the first week was a little hectic with incoming emails and calls. But all of a sudden, all of my general managers and those running engineering departments and housekeeping departments knew my business card was there. And I actually responded to each guest each time they called. So they started doing it on site and I knew I really hit the jackpot when my customers, my guests would say to my team members, where's the meaning of yes. That's when I knew it really penetrated the system. And it was born out of very difficult times, Mike, no different than today. It was the difficulties, the financial crisis of 08 and 09. I wanted to come up with something very different to survive. And I not only survived, I bought, many, many, many other broken companies and integrated them into the meaning of yes and fixed them and created a wonderful enterprise. And I love hospitality and I truly believe everyone's in hospitality. And the meaning of yes is so important today in every business in this new restart. There was this show, Undercover Boss. What was the idea behind this television show? The idea was to show the humanity of a corporation of a business. And when I was asked to do it, I actually said no, because I thought they would hurt my brand. And what I learned, I actually was fired the first day on the set. I actually quit at the same time, but we rekindled that relationship really quickly. 
and ended up creating some fabulous shows. And I learned about my team members, things I did not know, going undercover, creating the crazy characters. And then at the end of the show, and could reach out with the goodness of my philanthropic heart to help those in need in my company. I created a crisis fund within the company to help all of my team members, which was monitored by different folks to teach philanthropy within my company. It was probably one of the best business experiences that I had ever done that I was afraid to do at the beginning. Stephen, a local restaurant where most of the people that go to that restaurant are in the community can obviously reach out directly. But if I'm going to a international hotel, how do you make me safe if people are coming from throughout the United States for starters and someday if they're coming from around the world? Well, I think that goes to how you retrain your team members in reservations at the front desk at the valet uh, in corporate sales to ensure those that you're soliciting that your resorts are safe and prove it. And I think there'll be tremendous incentives if companies operate thoughtfully to bring the consumer back. Play days, three days, two nights for free, two for ones, you know, we'll buy your breakfast, but incentives to make the customer feel safe. And once the customer feels safe, the old adage, one consumer, We'll tell 10 more. And it goes back to the restart. You're starting business from scratch. Now, when we look, Stephen, at what's occurred over the past few months, you found most of the people that were seriously affected were either people that were senior citizens or had preconditions or were extremely young, let's say under one years of age. And most of the people in between on a percentage basis, we're not seriously affected. And you've had countries like Sweden and others that have chosen a different path. What are you discussing with the governments today and with the leaders of the hospitality industry to navigate this reopening and the balance between personal choice and public health? If you're looking for a perfect solution, it doesn't exist. If I get 80 or 90% of the way there in structuring a transaction or running my business, I'm going to fix the last 20 or 10% along the way to try to achieve perfection, knowing I could never get there, but I'm going to try really hard to get there because there's things that'll happen every day, every hour. And it goes back to, in chaos or change, tremendous levels of communication internally and externally. And that will show great leadership if you have it. And you're going to see companies that have leaders that can't rise to the occasion. And then those companies will potentially fail or have changes in leadership. Stephen, I know you've been talking to governors of states, obviously those areas that have been so dependent on tourism. What have you been suggesting they do to shore up their financial structures? Well, fortunately, I had a wonderful teacher when it came to balance sheet and structure. I went to the best business school ever. It's called the Mike Milken School of Business. I have a degree. Governments have to realize and operate more like a company does. If you think you have enough cash flow to last two months, plan for 10 or a year. Make sure you have enough cash in the bank immediately. If you're running a business, you draw down on your line of credit immediately, which most companies have done. If they didn't, well, they should. 
if they still have the opportunity. Because in 0809, we didn't know if the banks were going to cut off that line of credit. So with the communities today, I've suggested that they think about, instead of sending out their personal property tax bills or their real estate tax bills late in the year, send it out in July of this year or August for a discount, small discount, and they'll be surprised how quickly they'll be able to raise cash to give them the runway. And more importantly, the ability to sleep well at night and make proper decisions instead of knee-jerk decisions based on financial needs that they could have pre-prepared for. Stephen, I'd like to cover one other area, and that is for five decades, we've worked together in philanthropic efforts. And just the other day in a podcast with Richard Stone, the executive director of the VA, he pointed out that this partnership one that you had funded in the Seattle area between the VA and Fred Hutchinson and the University of Washington, that the only place that African-Americans now with prostate cancer have the same outcome in America where their death rate isn't higher is in the VA system. And at the Cancer Center at Fred Hutch and at the University of Washington are now in remission and leaving normal lives today. What was it that intrigued you about this opportunity? Well, as I've grown older, I've learned to be much more philanthropic. I've always had the interest in philanthropy, business, and science because I still want to be or wanted to be a thoracic surgeon. And I understand science enough to get myself in trouble. And this was fascinating that we could actually team up to do something in a very thoughtful way. Because when I looked at the other opportunities to give hospitals and the medical system, you'd run into one problem. Medical records were proprietary within Sloan Kettering, Cedar sinai Mayo, etc. Nobody would share. And when I realized this great opportunity, which you developed with Faster Cures to use the VA system, which has this wonderful, diverse population all over the United States. To me, that was, in essence, the pathway to the holy grail of not just figuring out prostate cancer, but other maladies too. So I thought this was the best place for the greatest return on my invested philanthropic capital. And it's been a great surprise to see all these wonderful things that have occurred and more people should get involved. Well, I want to thank you. And Stephen, you were there at the beginning. Your knowledge, your wisdom, in addition to your financial support, has made a difference over the decades. I cherish our friendship, and I also just can't thank you enough for your constant commitment to the people of our country, and you're willing to rise up every time there's a crisis to bring a entrepreneurial free enterprise solution in partnership with government. And I think your initiatives more than a decade ago served as a roadmap for us to file today. So thank you and thank you for joining us today, Stephen. Well, I'm proud to serve and I'm proud to have you as a mentor. Find more episodes on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or MilkenInstitute.org slash podcast, where you'll also find the latest COVID-19 updates. Until next time, stay safe and healthy.